Let me say that again. Classic can hear me with my microphone on. Good morning and happy new year. Uh, glad you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, let's open together to the New Testament book of Acts. It's awesome to start a new year and to be thinking about things that we resolve to do new or differently or better or with more enthusiasm. And as a church, we're starting this year with a focus on a return to an expositional look through one of the books of the Bible called the Book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament. It follows the four Gospels, and it is the story of the unfolding church in the New Testament. I want to thank you if you were around uh, Calvary during the month of December, particularly before Christmas and Christmas Eve. It was an awesome time of celebration between Calvary and the well. We, we had great Christmas Eve services. In the month of December, we had asked the church to be thinking and praying about um, participating in what we always call the heart of Advent. Our focus to spend a little less, give a little bit more, and worship Christ by advancing His purposes in the world. And Calvary Bible Church gave over $200,000 to the Heart of Advent, which is an awesome gift. Thank you for your generosity. Really awesome. That's going to be targeted toward the Go3 mission of uh, Third Campus. And in fact, in your bulletin this morning, there's a little note about a... Um, open forum that will happen next Sunday uh, afternoon at 4 p.m. at the Erie campus, which will be sort of a Q&A and an update on the Go3 third campus planning, which we're thinking about August, September of 2020. So we've got a ways to go, but if you're interested in being a part of that or giving or praying or serving in that, we would encourage you to come next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. It's at the Erie campus. We think most of the people who are going to launch with us on that already attend the Erie campus and come up to the Erie campus from the Thornton area. That's our, our plan, but some of you have expressed interest in knowing about it, so we invite you to join us next Sunday afternoon. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity in giving to Calvary for this great mission. In fact, that mission of going into all the world to make disciples, empower leaders, and multiply churches is really the story of the book of Acts. It's what Acts is all about. And Acts follows the four Gospels that culminate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when you begin to talk about the opening verses in the book of Acts, um, you hear the connection to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then all that Jesus began to do. Now, what we're going to do over the next, um, I think it's going to be 50 weeks, with attendance pins for everybody who makes every week. <laughs> and we're bringing back attendance pins, so you should think about being here. Now, if you know what we've done over the last uh, six or eight years we encourage you to get a journal, and this uh, is the ESV edition of the Bible with places to write in it. Some of you see I have three in my hand, and you're getting really excited, like, is he going to give some away? And yes, I'm going to give three away today, and then next Sunday, I think we'll have them in the cafe. You can also get them online, but who would like to commit to be here for 50 weeks? No, who would like one of these? All right. Um, 
Okay, Robert, please come hither, because I want you to have one. Who else wants one? Okay. Nobody in this section even wants one. Are you kidding me? Too late. There you go, Hal. Okay, who? I would like to throw one, but I don't think I would be um, here. I want you to have one. I'm not really supposed to leave the platform because now Classic Calvary cannot see me. But I'm back. Okay. So what we'd love for you to do is to have that journal, write in it, read it week after week. We're going to be in chapter one this morning and next Sunday. And we're just going to make our way through asking God to show us what he wants us to know about the development of the church. Do you know a lot of people think the church is dying? A lot's been written about the church is in terrible shape and its doom is sure. And people are leaving the church and the church is, is on the outs. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think people have always come and gone around the church. But I think the, the prediction of the demise of the church is overstated by a mile. Overstated by a mile. I'll tell you why. The book of Acts talks about the church that Jesus is building and the church that he's building is going to endure until he returns. Now, the church in the book of Acts, a lot of people say, oh, we just wish we could get back to what the church was really like in the first century. Well, you should think a little carefully about whether you want that. Um, there, it was a confusing time, and there was a lot of tension. There were problems, and they were solved. There were always problems in the church. But the things that were written in the book of Acts were help, to help guide the church into the unfolding history of the new life. And in the book of Acts, you find a very different conception about what church life is to be like than what most people think about the church today. Here's a couple ideas that I'd like you to think about. An author by the name of Ajith Fernando wrote these three statements, and they're worth us thinking about today. To a society where selfishness is sometimes admired and each one is left to fend for him or herself, the book of Acts presents a group of Christians who were so committed to Christ and the cause of the gospel that they were willing to sacrifice their desires for the good of others. When you read the stories of the people in the book of Acts, you find a group of people who were so transformed by the message of Jesus that they were willing to change the way they lived their life and even to sacrifice their own welfare on behalf of others. And the church's influential impact in the Roman Empire and, behind, and beyond was because of this kind of mentality. Secondly, to a society where pluralism defines truth as something subjective and personal. Acts presents the church based its life on certain objective facts about God and Christ, facts that were not only personally true, but also universally valid and therefore had to be presented to the entire world. I mean, the culture is pluralistic and 
we hear again and again, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. And the, the book of Acts is the certainty that a group of people who knew this historical objective reality that Jesus Christ died, he rose again, he appeared, and then he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach this good news, so changed the hearts of the people in the early first centuries of the church that they knew this message had to be preached to the world. We live in a pluralistic world. We live in a world where truth is being redefined, defined for everybody in their own way. What's true for you? I had a high school teacher who said to me repeatedly before I was able in my mind, too soft at the time of being 17, he always said, truth is what people believe. And we all listened to that and said, oh, okay. Truth is what people believe. And it wasn't until I graduated high school and I thought, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Truth is not what people believe, but everybody seems to have their private logic and then live by it, and chaos ensues. The book of Acts is written because there were some objective, world-changing facts that occurred in history, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the transformed lives of a group of apostles who went about preaching this gospel and healing people and praying and being empowered by the Holy Spirit that so changed the world that we anticipate that this will still happen today. And because the church is threatened, and because the church constantly is under attack, and there's always a pressure to make it cool, hip, whatever. One other statement Ajith wrote in a little introduction to the book of Acts was this, that in an age where many churches look to excellence in technique to bring success, you know what I'm talking about, right? The big show on the platform, the big whatever. A lot of people look for excellence in technique. The book of Acts, on the other hand, presents a church that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit and gave top priority to prayer and moral purity. I just want to say to you that in the church where prayer, purity, the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth, of the living word of God are emphasized as the part of the life of the church, that church will be a prevailing church. It'll be a prevailing church. In fact, Jesus said a lot about his church. In, in Acts chapter um, 16, verse 15 and 18, before we even get to our, our text in Acts, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to them, talking to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you the truth, you are Peter. Let's read the rest together. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the bedrock foundation for a church that's going to last until he returns. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail it. Now, when I say those words, I'm talking the church, big C. Churches come and go, and churches close every year in America and around the world. But in South America and in Africa, the church is on the move and on the grow. And it's growing in America where... Faith is vital, and the 
a, a walk in the Spirit and vibrant prayer and commitment to the Word of God is real, the church will grow. That's what Jesus promised. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, the last words he spoke recorded in the Gospels, Jesus said these words. Um, actually, the 11 disciples went out to meet him and they worshiped him. <laughs> this is after the resurrection. But some doubted. Wait a minute, Jesus rose from the dead. He was with his disciples for 40 days. He showed himself alive by many various proofs. And they went out to the mountaintop and some worshiped and some doubted. Could I just stop, put the brakes on, talk to every one of you who are here today who are still listening and haven't drifted away? It's okay if you doubt. The Bible is written for doubters to come to settled belief that what Jesus said is true. You can doubt. Some doubted here. And when they doubted, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and everybody. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you as you go, do the work of the church, which is make disciples, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. You go, I'll be with you. This plan is my plan for the world, the church. There isn't a plan B. This is what Jesus said, I'm going to go into all the world and do this and make this happen. And so the book of Acts is the follow-up to um, the gospel story of the death and resurrection of Christ. So now are you in Acts chapter 1? Let's read verse 1 of chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, the writer of this book is a man by the name of, anybody know? Luke. And Luke wrote another book in the New Testament called Luke. And Luke was a physician. He was a Gentile. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He was bright and articulate, and he recorded in his own personality, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God called Luke and Acts. And Acts begins with this statement in the first book, O Theophilus. And it's clear that Luke is writing to someone he refers to as Theophilus. Theophilus may very well have been a proper name. It means Theos, which means God, and Phileon, Phileon which means to love. Theophilus means a lover of God, one who loves God. So it may have been a real person with that name. It was also used, uh, most excellent Theophilus in Acts, 
in Luke chapter 1, as a title, and he may very well have been a real person in the Roman Empire, in Caesar's household, who was a distinguished person, and Luke may have been writing to him to help him to know, first in the Gospel of Luke, what the story of Jesus was about, and now in the book of Acts, what the following words about the church development was about. But he's writing to Theophilus, and in the first book, which is Luke, I wrote, nope, 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 please go back, thank you, uh, with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Everything that Jesus did and all that he taught is recorded in Luke until the day he was taken up and he gave commands by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke begins Acts with this connection to this person, Theophilus. It'll help us to go to Luke chapter 1. Your head, I'll put it on the screen. Luke chapter 1, he begins the gospel account inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me, Luke is writing, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, having followed things closely for some time, to write an orderly account to you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's Luke, the life of Jesus, most excellent Theophilus. Now when you go to Acts chapter 1, the first book was about Jesus' life up to the cross. Now volume 2 is Luke's account in Acts 1 through 28 of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and then 30 years of church history until the church arrives at Rome through the Apostle Paul. And that's the book of Acts, in a sense. And that's what Luke is doing. <clears throat> now, you'll see in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1 that of Jesus, it says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. After his death, he appeared and presented himself to his disciples as having truly been resurrected from the dead. And you'll remember some of those appearances, right? Where he just showed up in a room and said, do you have something to eat? And he ate with them. And he came to Thomas and he said, Thomas, put your hand forward and touch me here. Thomas had said, I will never believe that Jesus has been risen from the dead unless I see it with his own, my own eyes and touch him with my own hands. And Jesus made himself known to him. And Jesus made himself known again and again, sort of showing up and telling them, this is what the kingdom is like. This is how you will live after I'm gone. And he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Now let me ask you a question. As you remember the disciples around the crucifixion of Jesus, what kind of men were they? How courageous would you say the 12 disciples were? Not so much, right? Not so much because they all deserted and Peter denied him. And um, they, they all sort of took off and they were discouraged. And when the women came back from the empty tomb to them and said them up, up to the upper room where they were, hey, we've seen the Lord. Did they believe the ladies? No. 
I mean, these are the disciples who, right after the, the death of Jesus, they were, they were not courageous. But he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And in those 40 days, something happened in the hearts of the disciples that changed them forever so that the scared, scattered 12 or 11 without Judas became so emboldened that in the book of Acts, they each, nearly all, go to martyrdom on behalf of this message that Jesus Christ came into the world. He lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised again. That's the good news of the gospel, and I stake my life on it. I will die for it. What happened? What happened is Acts chapter 1 and 2, which we're going to look at over the, over the years, but over, over the next two weeks, over the next two weeks. <clears throat> Okay, so Christ was alive from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes Paul's account of the difference that the resurrection of Christ made. Keep your finger here and turn to the very last chapter of the book of Luke. And let me um, refer you to where Luke writes about the resurrection in Luke 24. And verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why are you, do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? It's one of my favorite statements of Jesus. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. He said, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thus it had to be written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending... Everybody paying attention? I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the end of Luke, his last words to them. And then in Acts chapter 1, he's, he's there talking to them again in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, this is where... Luke 24 and Acts 1 moved together. While staying with them, eating with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Luke takes careful plans to make sure that we understand that what happened in the resurrection of Jesus was intended to bolster the faith of the disciples that the reality of the truth claim that was historically objective and verifiable that Jesus actually did die, he did rise from the dead, he was seen by his disciples, he did ascend into heaven, that that is the very truth claim that changed the hearts of the disciples to be willing to go to martyrdom. And what God did in them there is to give them the promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1. What's the promise of the Father? What did the promise offer to the disciples that Jesus Christ would, would do for them, would give to them, especially if he were to die and be buried and be raised and go away back into heaven? If that happened to Jesus, what was the promise that God and Christ both made to his disciples that they would have? it would be the Holy Spirit would come. That you're going to get something that getting it is better than Jesus actually staying there with them. And this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. You are witnesses of these things, Luke said. I'm sending the promise of my Father. So what is that promise? In John chapter 14, I would write this down. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can certainly turn there. But in John chapter 14... When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room just before his death on the cross, he told his disciples, I'm going to ask my father, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of, the tru of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be, everybody? So he dwells with you, but he shall be in you. This is the promise of the Father. Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm going to go away. When I go away, I'm going to ask my Father to send you another helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who is with you now, but he's going to be in you. And a whole new ministry of the Spirit indwelling the lives of believers is going to occur on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it happens in the book of Acts. We're going to see it in Acts chapter 2. But it's promised here in chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is coming. Again, John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is, again, Jesus before the cross promising his disciples that the Father will send the Holy Spirit to be in you. His ministry will be to teach you and to bring into remembrance all the things that I've ever taught you in my life. In these three years that we've been together, when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit's going to be in you, teaching you these things and bringing to remembrance all that you need to know at any time that you're doing my work of taking the gospel into all the world. Holy Spirit's going to be with you. One more. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. It's hard to imagine the disciples hearing Jesus saying, I'm going to go away and that's going to be a good thing. But Jesus promised that it's to your advantage that I go away, that the helper will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he does come, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. His ministry in the world will be to bring conviction of sin, coming judgment and the need to repent and the need to turn to the true source of righteousness, which is Christ. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples and the apostles as they teach the word of God and the gospel goes out. The Holy Spirit is going to do that. And he can't do that unless I go away. So now when you come to the book of Acts and you read verses 4 and 5 again, you, you, you said, you heard from me the promise about the Father. John baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized John baptized with water, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at that two weeks from today. The life of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church is what sustains the church, not our faithfulness. It's the life of God living in us by faith that helps us to live as he intended us to live. Today, when you come to Jesus Christ and you turn your life over to him, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. We're all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. But what you'll see happen in the book of Acts is a progressive unfolding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in more detail when we study chapter 1, verse 8 next week. Two more verses before we close this morning. Verse 6 says, So when they came together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still thinking, Lord, are you going to overthrow Rome? Is this now your... You went to the cross, you conquered sin, you conquered death. Now you're with us. Are you going to conquer Rome? And Jesus simply answers and says to them, "Um, It is not for you to know. The times are the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's a future work that God's going to do, and the unfolding of that plan is known to God. And when that occurs, we're going to wait on him, and we're going to do the work that he asks us to do in the meantime. And that's verse 8. Let's read verse 8 together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this verse provides something of an outline of the rest of the book of Acts, that the work that God does in Jerusalem are the early chapters through about the end of chapter 8, and then Samaria is chapter 9, and then uh, into Judea, and then to the ends of the earth is the work of Paul going all the way to Rome, which would have been the ends of the earth at the day. And the book of Acts unfolds by God affirming his work and building his church in all these places. Now, what you see is a group of people who are so changed by the message of the gospel that they are willing to lay down everything that they possess, and they become an absolutely generous people. 
They are people who are committed to praying and fasting that the will of God will be done in the lives of lost people. The people in the book of Acts are are those who depend upon the Spirit and learn quickly by some mistakes the importance of moral purity and holiness in the life of the church. This is a group of people who again and again are taught to understand the apostolic authority of the Word of God and to live by its truth. And when that is the heartbeat of the church that Christ is building, that church is able to do what God wants it to do in any day and any era. I want to say to you, I don't think the church is in demise. It's not in my heart. I love the church. I do work for the church. But I work for the church because I love it. And I want to see the church advance in every place that God calls us to. I, I want to see people who are lost in sin come to Christ and be saved from their sin and know that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior who gives eternal life. I want people to follow him and learn to observe all that he commanded so that in his commands it touches their marriage, it touches their sexual life, it touches their finances, it touches their thought life, their emotional well-being. When Christ is the Lord of the life of one of us, it changes everything. I want to see that happen. I think the world needs the church more than ever. And you know what? We're in a day and an age that's um, not as bad as the Roman Empire. And not as bad as being in China. And not as bad as being in some places in the Middle East. We live in America. And you're going to be marginalized for being a Christ follower. And you're going to be shamed for believing a certain objective group of facts about the death and resurrection of Christ. And if you're a Christian in America in 2010, there may well be a price to pay. But the church will not die. Just won't. We may fall off and fall away and fade out and chicken out, but the truth of God will prevail. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church that he is building by grace. There is one spirit that fills the hearts of every Christ follower. And all around the world, those whose faith is described by vibrancy and practice and a commitment and a faith that's not moderate, it's not milk toast or lukewarm. It's a faith that's activated by being in a community that says these things are true. Christ is building his church. I'm on that wagon. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be on the sidelines. That, that's what Acts is all about. Anybody want to go along? Okay, what you're going to see in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit in his power coming upon people who know their power is insufficient. The Holy Spirit is the power in the life of a believer. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work in you. He wants to work his miracles in you. He wants to teach you all the things that Christ affirmed. 
He wants to lead us to pray. He wants to teach us to be a people who depend on him utterly in every circumstance. And that's what I pray we will do. Let's pray now. Father, I ask that you will be in our hearts this morning as we think about a journey through the book of Acts to study the way that you build your church. I pray our own conception of the church will change as you lead us to understand the words of Scripture, that we know that you are going to build your church by people who are faithful to your word, full of the Holy Spirit, walking in holiness, and dependence on you in prayer. And I just pray that one of the resolutions that we will each make right now as we begin 2020 will be to say, we want to be the church that glorifies and makes Christ known in the world no matter what comes against us. And that we're able to stand as the church that Christ is building in all of our imperfections, in all of our weaknesses, in all the ways we fail to live up. We pray you will show yourself great as you advance your church here in Boulder and in Erie and in every place you take us in 2020. This is what we pray for. Give us faith. Let us walk in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.